Previously on Funny Science Fiction. So I get off the plane and I'm like smelling. I'm like, oh my God, it smells like grass and not the kind you, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Armin Schindelman and welcome to Funny Science Fiction Podcast. Podcast where we try to find the answer to the following saying. Sometimes the only thing more dangerous than a question is an answer. Or in this case, the three of us in front of a microphone. So our guest today is an accomplished actor, he's a voice actor, he's an activist, and an author. You've heard his voice in many animated series and video games, you've seen him on the television screen uh, in Star Trek, both Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, amongst the many other shows. We're very honored today to have Armin Shimmerman with us. Welcome, Armin. Glad to have you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to get to all the Star Trek fun soon enough, because... Nick and Kathleen are chomping at the bit <laughs> to ask you a few questions uh, about about the trek, because um, there, there's plenty of fodder there with both with your with all your acting there in both uh, Next Generation and and Deep Space, of course. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about the books that you've written, uh, because I, I had a chance to go to your website, kind of look those things over, and and uh, and I and I'm I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly, but is it the the Illyria series? Illyria. Illyria. Okay. I knew I was going to get it wrong, but I was going to go for it anyway. You're closer than most. Woohoo! I'll take that. Closer than most. That's the best description of me that I think I've ever heard. Closer than most. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So for, for the series, what was the impetus for starting this particular series? And if could you explain the basic story for those who aren't familiar with your writing? Sure. Um, I have always been a Shakespeare uh, scholar, um, and uh, I've done about a third of the plays, but I'm fascinated with the life that surrounded the plays and and the playwright and the people of the time. And one of the people that lived at the same time as Shakespeare did was an incredible Renaissance man named John Dee. And as I began to explore the life of John Dee, who was a necromancer, uh, astrologist, an astronomer, a mathematician, uh, many things, a, a spy. Um, I decided I wanted to write a novel. Well, I had already written novels about John D. but I really wanted to write an accurate novel of John D. The other novels I wrote were science fiction novels and, and took a lot uh, uh, liberties. So I wanted to write the real story of John D. And that was the inspiration for this. And I included the character of a very young 16-year-old Shakespeare uh, as his sort of Watson to his Sherlock Holmes. Because he is on a spy case and he's trying to to, uh, figure out the loyalty of a particular count. Uh, uh, At that time in England, there was a great deal of uh, anger and frustration between the two religions, between Catholicism and Protestantism. Uh, The Queen was Protestant, of course, when most of the country had been and was Catholic. So there was a great deal of division, perhaps a, a little like our own times. And, um, and so our, the story is about that. It, it encompasses three novels. It's always meant to be a trilogy. Uh, the first book came out in November of last year. The second book comes out in November the 5th of 2021. And the third book will come out a year from then, uh, 2022, November the 5th. Why November the 5th? That's a holiday in England. It's called Guy Fawkes Day. It also happens to be my birthday. 
That's a just solid say, choice. Remember, man. remember the fifth of November. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> oh well, we look forward to the newest release. That that's exciting. So, as Tim said, and as my background shows, I might love Quark just a little bit. Just it, it's you. a lot. So I actually. But you still have to pay for your drinks. Oh, of course. <laughs> and I am horribly, horribly overdressed. But we'd have to change the rating of the show. And it gets a little scandalous. <laughs> so I grew up watching DS9. And it is by far my favorite sci-fi series. It's, it's close tie to Doctor Who. But it is. They are neck and neck. And having played Quark for 172 episodes, I have to wonder... What is Up your 173? Is it because I played one on Next Generation? Oh, true. true. That is true. Well, 172 on DS9, but yes, 173 episodes of Quark, which I love him. So, what is your favorite rule of acquisition? Enough is never enough. Ooh. Do you have a reason behind that other than it's just fun to say? It's fun to say, it's rhetorical, um, and uh, it's it, Carries a wallop. I, I think. Uh, I think for everybody, enough is never enough. It certainly was the raison d'etre for my character. Absolutely, enough was never enough. Definitely. So, as you mentioned earlier, you absolutely love Shakespeare, and like all things Shakespeare. So, how did you bring your love of Shakespeare into the various roles that you have played? That's a great question. Thank you, Nick. Um, most of these of the Star Trek actors are, are classically trained. Most of us have done a great deal of Shakespeare. Perhaps it's, uh, it's, it's the need to be able to get around technobabble on Shakespeare and make that language sound plausible, which you have to do in Shakespeare as well. But one of the things that uh, I teach when I teach Shakespeare is something called rhetoric, about how you put words together. Uh, that's why I like enough is never enough. Uh, it's a repetition of the word enough. And that's a, what they call, um, uh, oh my God, I've just forgotten the word for it. Um, uh, but um, language is what Shakespeare and his contemporaries and everybody really up until the 20th century was interested in. And so when I perform, it's not just about my heart. It's also about my ability to speak the language that the writers have given me and to communicate the whimsy of the language to an audience. So uh, that's what I did in Star Trek. That's what I do in all my roles. I look at the I look at the language. I look, of course, at what the character wants and needs and needs to do and what he feels. But I also want to make the language come alive, um, which uh, they gave me every opportunity on Star Trek, on Buffy, and on other shows. I could definitely see the the Shakespearean influence with Principal Snyder, even. <laughs> Yes, he's he's a little bit of a of a Malvolio, um, and um, uh, I'm not sure that I actually based that character on Malvolio. But before I was Quark, I was another Ferengi called Letek. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that episode, that character has a slight uh, limp, a slight hunch in his shoulder, and certainly uh, Richard III was the inspiration for that character. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I'm not happy with that performance, but uh, it, Richard III was the inspiration for that performance. It, so Richard III was the inspiration for the original Ferengi. That's really cool. That's interesting. 
Now, is that that's the Ferengi that you played on the Next Generation, correct? That's right. Okay. Right. Well, that's actually a really nice lead into my next question for you, then, uh, because I had I had seen an article on a website called Fansighted.com, which is talking about Star Trek, and was talking about your role as the Ferengi on on the Next Generation. Ferengi. Michael Dorn says Ferengi, and he's got it wrong. Ferengi. <laughs> Ferengi. Okay. Uh, Tim's not a Star Trek fan. I'm not as big of a Star Trek fan. So. <laughs> All right. Well, good. All right. I'm in good company then. Um, now, it said that you weren't exactly happy with, with the way that it that the character had been developed and the way that it had been played because it, you're under, according to the article, your understanding was that it was the Ferengi who were going to be more like the I'm still probably pronouncing it wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm talking, talking about the original Ferengi you're talking about, right? Yes, yes, yes. Is that they were supposed to be portrayed more like the the Klingon? Uh, that you thought that that's how they were going to be more of a, a a warrior tribe instead of comic relief. You're you're going in the right but wrong direction. Okay. They had a vision. It it wasn't that I was upset with them. It was rather I did not fulfill their vision. The onus is on my shoulders, not on anybody else's, except possibly the director. But um, I, I failed them miserably uh, as far as portraying the original Ferengi. The Ferengi, as you started to say, were never meant to be comic. They were meant to be ferocious. They were meant to be the nemesis that the Klingons were um, for the original show uh, and, and certainly for Next Generation. Um, but I, I failed that. I, I didn't, I didn't give them the performance they wanted and, or, or that they asked me to do for that matter. And, and my performance as Quark several years later was an attempt to re-indemnify the Ferengi, to make them three-dimensional characters, which I had woefully not done in my first performance, uh, on Next Generation. Okay. Well, that's. Because that's what I was curious about was what was the difference between how they were portrayed in, in your mind between Next Generation and, and Deep Space Nine, and you, you've you've answered that. But what changed in the character for you to be willing to come back and, and do that? Was it just that you wanted a chance to to like you know redo it to to feel better yeah. about the character? Absolutely, Tim. It was guilt. It was out and out guilt. I felt so guilty about how badly I had I. Had, uh, performed on Next Generation with that new species of Ferengi that, uh, that I wanted to, to have a do-over. And I got that do-over. And I had the help of wonderful writers uh, who pushed me in the right direction, for which I'm enormously grateful. I also wanted to make the paycheck, Tim. Um, so, uh, <laughs> also we, important. Uh, when I, you know, the, the opportunity of, of being a series regular on a Star Trek show was for me a huge Star Trek fan, a great, great, great opportunity. And uh, I consider myself one of the luckiest people alive that I got that opportunity. Yeah, and I, and I think for the history of Star Trek, I think most would be happy that uh, your guilt won out and that you that you came back because I think that uh, you know all the research that we did, and, and you know we'll get into this in a few minutes, but you know the size of our group and 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 as as Trek heavy as they are they absolutely love your character and your, your character is, is from what everything that I can see and everything that I have read, 
is a universally loved and respected character. So I'm very glad that you came back and that you gave it another attempt. Well, thank you. I, 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 as much as I wanted to do it, there was a half hour when I wasn't sure. <laughs> and uh, I had the opportunity to visit an old friend of mine long before Star Trek, a man named Jonathan Frakes. Uh, for you, Tim, he was Riker on... on uh, yes. Next the man who cannot sit in a chair normally. Yes, I understand. My first yeah, child exactly. crush. <laughs> and, uh, and I spoke to Jonathan for about a half hour and with my qualms about having to do this because wearing the makeup is a burdensome. And, uh, and he, he very much uh, convinced me into doing it. I think the, the closer was at the end of our conversation, this uh, rugged, rugged Englishman came into the trailer, Patrick Stewart, and uh, heard a little bit of our conversation. And he turned to me and he didn't know me very well, but he said, Armin, you have to do it. So that was it. Told to do it. I yeah, I think if Patrick Stewart walked anywhere where I was at and I was contemplating to do or not to do, and he said do, I, I think I would take that advice, yeah. I did. So we, we blame it all on Patrick. A little on Jonathan, but certainly on Patrick. But it, it was an easy choice. I was just daunted by the, uh, the idea of wearing that prosthetic makeup for uh, as long as I had to wear it. Um, but my dear wife, a very smart lady, a couple of years into the show when I was complaining about the makeup, she wisely said to me, Armin, and remember that I was a huge Star Trek fan. She said, uh, if you want to be a knight, you have to wear the armor. <laughs> so I wore the armor and, and shut up about how, how difficult it was. I can, I can see, though, in the way that you portray Quark, that the the redemption is there the no we're supposed to be a feared race and quark kind of has that that chip on his shoulder of the no take me seriously and i think that that's part of why we all love him so much thank you for that kathleen that was an agenda of mine you have to take me seriously that was always under my performance because i was fighting that perception that they were common characters mm -hmm. and uh the writers have recently told me many many years after we finished shooting, that if they had something weirdly, bizarrely, wonderfully comic, they wouldn't give it to me because I would I would put a, a, a serious slant to mm -hmm. it. But they would give it to, to Max, to Rom. And, uh, and so Rom would be the butt of many jokes um, because they knew that he would, he would give his all, and he did it brilliantly, to be that sort of comic character that leans itself more towards the original Ferengi. I, I was always trying to make the Ferengi more serious and uh, in a comical way, of course. Right. But, I, but that was always my agenda. In that sort of underdog, even though you try, it's never really going to work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, back there too. There right. I mean, <laughs> the purpose of my character was to be comic relief. That was why they wrote the character. So they couldn't give that up, neither could I. Right. Um, but, but if there was any opportunity, the slightest opportunity, to make this uh, a meaningful moment, uh, a three-dimensional moment, then I would grab for it. And if the director asked me to do it a different way, I would. And then they would have the option of using one or the other uh, in post. And even, even the way that Quark argues with Moogie, with the, no, you have to do this. You have to take these roles seriously. <laughs> what are you doing? It's like, even in 
battling with his family, you see that that come through of the no, we're going to be taken seriously. Right. Thank you. Yes. If, if that came through, Kathleen, uh, you've made my day because that's what I tried to do. For it them. totally came through. I think Quark was the only one who took the Ferengi seriously. Well, he wasn't the only one. He wasn't. <laughs> Not that he did wrong, did. We all did. We all took them seriously at times. Um, but we also knew uh, there was a little tongue-in-cheek about, uh, about some of the things we did. Some were, were more eager to embrace the farcical side of, of the characters. Uh, I, was, I was up for it, but I wasn't eager. Um, but, I did, but I did my best, and I always knew that I was the comical character on the show, and therefore it behooved me to be funny. So I tried to walk a thin line between the two. You did it wonderfully. <laughs> and I think that there's an opportunity to be funny even when being serious. Okay. You know, there, there's serious comedy uh, where, you know, somebody is playing the straight man and, and the straight man can be the funny man by being by being the straight man. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that gets overlooked because we're in an era where people want the slapstick and out and out funny. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you look back over the way, you know, certain characters are played, to me, many times the funniest of it is when the straight man makes the joke. You know, uh, I almost love a, humor. Yeah, almost in it's almost in a, uh, a you know an unseen way. It's not underhanded, but it's 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 the lower hand where it's it's not seen as easily. I couldn't agree more, Tim. Couldn't agree more. Thank you for that. So, in addition to being the television famous bartender and a high school principal and judges. You've got a notable list of video game roles that I noticed are mostly villains. So what uh, yeah. interesting play- um don't know why that is, although <laughs> at one time it's hard to believe that's the great thing about doing voiceovers. There was one cartoon, uh, just Justice League, I believe it was, uh, where I actually got to play the voice of Superman. Um, so um, not necessarily a villain. Um, but uh, most of the time, yes, I'm cast as villains. Don't know why that is. <laughs> uh, I, I did take a, a, a movie a couple of years back called The Fifth Passenger because the character was not a hero by any means, but he wasn't a villain. And I said to the director, I took this because this is the first time I'm not playing a villain. Um, and uh, he was happy to have me. I was happy to do it. I read online somebody <laughs> referred to it. I, I, I actually, after years and years of playing villains, I didn't know if I could come across uh, as a non-villain, hmm. uh, because there must be something in me intrinsically that, that uh, <laughs> indicates that. Uh, I, I must believe that, or, or else I wouldn't have played so many villains. So I didn't know whether things that I wasn't aware of in my own personality might be coming through in that performance. I've seen the pictures, it's quite good. And, um, and I, I guess I was wrong about any worries. That <laughs> There's nothing villainous or evil about the performance. I read online somebody referred to Principal Snyder as a villain of nuisance. And I'm like... That's good. That's good. I I think he was a nuisance. And um, and he was never supposed to be around for very long. They had told me early on, uh, we're going to rotate principals in and out on a regular basis. And I said, great, because I got a day job, you know? Because yeah. um, I was shooting Star Trek at the same time I was shooting buses. And and yet, they kept me around for three years. I, I know that uh, the last episode of the, of the three seasons that I was in, I immediately, when I got the, the last script of the season, I went to the last page and said, okay, how do they kill me off? <laughs> um, 
and surprised for three seasons that they haven't. All right. I, I, I think they were, I want to believe that they were very happy with my performance and, and like whatever color I brought to their canvas. Definitely. Definitely. And I can't imagine a principal in a school like that actually sticking around for three years. Like I would have been out of there so fast. <laughs> so our Facebook group has over 160,000 members and they, it's just filled with memes uh, from the Star Trek variety, Star Wars, whatever. And they mash things together and create silliness and funny and humor. So which two characters that you have portrayed would you like to see come together to either work together or to become nemesis? Well, that's a great question. Um, what two characters would I like to see work together or become nemesis? Um, well, I want to not give this answer, but I'll start with this answer. Uh, uh, I've often thought um, Snyder and Quark were diametrically opposed, so they would be nemesis. Um, Quark was a people person, he said so often. Uh, he liked being with people, he liked talking, he liked being around people. Snyder hated people um, and, and would have been perfectly happy to be locked up in a cave by himself, I think. Uh, but that isn't necessarily my answer. I, I, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, I, I would love to see, um, uh, in one of the games I played, I had the great privilege to play Andrew Ryan in Bioshock. And um, I would love to see Quark and Andrew Ryan <laughs> go at each other. Uh, because basically they have the same ethos. Uh, they, they both believe in capitalism and uh, uh, looking after yourself. Interesting. That's very fascinating. That would be a fun combo. But yeah, like, I know that you said that you didn't want to give it because it does kind of seem like the easy answer of Quark and Snyder. But I love that you say that Snyder would have been happy in a cave by himself <laughs> when he's in a high school full of teenagers. <laughs> right. It was the wrong, uh, the wrong job for the wrong person. Uh, he, he really shouldn't have been around children. Unless... He, he really hated life. And, uh, and I learned that by doing an episode on, on Buffy called um, Band Candy when they showed uh, several of us as teenagers. And, and I realized he had probably taken a lot of wax as a teenager uh, because he was such uh, disliked mm -hmm. and um, repugnant. So, uh, and grew up to be that kind of adult uh, who suffered from the fact that nobody liked him. And so in turn, he was not going to like anybody. Right. I could see, though, if, if he had started his career as a nice person and the teenagers had jilted him, like, that would have made sense to me. But why, as an already angry person, are you going into being an educator? Well, just... I believe most angry adults are angry because of what they suffered uh, as teenagers. And, and they start out as happy people. Mm -hmm. It's only that society uh, twists them in a way that makes them less than, than perfect people. Teenagers are brutal. They can be, yes. Currently raising a couple. That's <laughs> I understand. Teenagers are scary. <laughs> you have just wait, you have no idea. I've got ten more years, dude. <laughs> 
So uh, as Nick alluded to, we do have a very large Facebook group. We try to in- involve them in our interviews as, as much as possible. So a few days ago, uh, we put out a post uh, with a lovely picture of Quark and asked uh, if they had a question for you or Quark, what would they ask? So we have a couple that, of our uh, member questions we'd like to throw at you here. Um, the first one is from Valerie Lieberman, and she had this to ask. How was it for the cast in Far Beyond the Stars, filming out of costume and addressing racism in the 1950s? Well, that's our favorite episode. I I speak to the entire cast. I think all of us agree that that's our favorite episode. Not because we were out of makeup, but because we were facing racism and and asking questions about it. Um, it, it I'm very proud of that episode. I think it's not only our best episode, but I think it's... one of the best episodes on TV that you'll ever find. So even if you don't like Star Trek, even if you don't like Deep Space Nine, I recommend highly that you see Far Beyond the Stars because the issues it addresses uh, are really quite incredible. I also like it for another reason, which is oftentimes what's happening right now, for instance, you're, you're interviewing one of the actors in the show, but the true genius of any TV show is not the actors, not the director. But the writers, the writers who create the characters and put the words in the characters' mouth. And what I love about Far Beyond the Stars is that um, we were out of character and we were playing writers and, and we were discussing the, the questions and difficulties that writers have. And um, I'm very fond of it for that reason as well. As far as being out of makeup, it was a pleasure uh, for aliens not to have to put on the prosthetic makeup. Uh, I will tell you an anecdote very quickly. That was, I think, season six uh, of our seven-year season. And I remember the prop master came over to give me something as my character in Far Beyond the Stars. His name was Herb. And his name was, the the prop master's name was Pat. And Pat looked at me out of makeup. And he had seen me hundreds of times out of makeup. But he looked at me in front of the camera out of makeup. And he said, Armin, it's very strange for me to look at you without the makeup, <laughs> uh, which was flattering, but also hard to understand because, as I said, he'd seen me many times out of the makeup. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, um, and we were also playing different characters. I had the discussion with the director, with Avery Brooks. Uh, Avery wanted me to do something in a sort of quark-like way, and I said, Avery, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think Herb is a totally different character than than Quark. And that all the characters that we're portraying are different than their essential beings uh, on Deep Space Nine. Um, and and I don't necessarily have to be greedy as her. I don't have to be obnoxious as, as her. Uh, I have to be um, a, a writer and, and address this as a writer would. So that's my long-winded answer for that lovely question. We love long-winded answers. We long-winded really answers are the best answers. Yeah, do, right, Tim? <laughs> So as a as a tie-on to the end of that question, because you met, you mentioned it a couple different times, being you know in and out of makeup, uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, members wanted to know how long did it take you to, uh, in the chair to get the makeup on and off? Uh, it took um, fourteen hours to put the makeup on and twenty six hours to take it off. <laughs> I only answer it that way because that is the perennial, perennial question. 
that I actually, when I go to convention appearances, I get in front of the mic, in front of the microphone. I don't say hello, hi, I'm Armin Shimmerman. I just go two hours. Um, <laughs> It took two hours to put the makeup on. And the question that no one ever asked, which was much more important to me and to my makeup artist, was that it took an hour to take it off. And the reason why it's more important is after a 16-hour day, when both she and I wanted to go home, we still had another hour of work to do. Before <laughs> Understood. Okay. So Tim used a question from the group. I have other sources for questions for you. Because like I said, growing up... My parole officer. <laughs> not this time. No, that's my next question. Hold tight. No, so as I mentioned... I, I, grew, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I grew up watching DS9. And my mom is also a big DS9 fan. So she actually wanted to know if the physical appearance for Quark for the Ferengi came before the... if if the physical appearance for the Frankie came before the written character, I guess is how she was wording it. No, uh, for you and your mom, I don't know the specific answer to that. I don't know if the writing came first or if the makeup came first. I would assume, and that's all it is, is an assumption, that the writing came first. Was it exactly the words that I said in the, in the episode? Probably not. But, but what's also interesting, and, and this is a scoop for your for your blog and your we love those. There's a new Ferengi on, I think, Prodigy, Star Trek, Prodigy or Discovery. I'm not sure which of the two shows. It's probably Discovery. And the makeup that he had is actually the real original Ferengi makeup. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Um, and that the makeup that, that Ron and Quark and Brunt all had with the with the with the ledge across the top mm -hmm. and, and the round round ears. That was not the original makeup. Um, it was a much more elfin look than a pumpkin look. <laughs> um, and um, and I don't know why they changed it. So when you ask that question, um, I can't answer what what came first. But I'm also mystified about why they changed. I do know, uh, well, that's a question you haven't asked, and I won't bore you with it. But, um, but so I don't have an answer. Oh, that's all right. You know, as as a person who was picked on for having large ears growing up, I loved the Ferengi's ears. They're... Well, you can see that uh, you and I have that. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I hide mine in my curls. <laughs> if I had curls, I would hide them. <laughs> my, my mom was absolutely terrified of the Ferengi. Uh, they went to Las Vegas once, and there was a guy dressed up as a Ferengi and was chasing her around and she was just like freaking out. <laughs> well, um, I, I love that guy. I, I've forgotten his name, but he was terrific. I'm sorry to say he passed away. Oh, uh, But um, I love what he did in the restaurant and uh, was a big fan. Of big awesome. fan. Nice. Another one of our Facebook group uh, members, Jess Van Gosen wanted to ask, what was your favorite Quark episode or moment? Um, there were several. It's hard to say which one. Certainly one that a lot of people are aware of is what we call the, uh, the root beer scene between Quark and Gus Garrick. Um, 
there was a speech they gave me, which uh, I just love, which is to Avery. I can't remember. I guess I do. It was a siege of AR, whatever the numbers are to follow it, um, where he explains how the Ferengi are different, better than human. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, there's an episode called um, uh, All the Way Home, I think it's called, or something like that, which was early on. This is about the third or fourth episode of Deep Space Nine. There's nothing special about it uh, that I can point to, like the speeches I was just mentioning. But in that episode, I had a great epiphany moment where I went, oh, now I understand this character. I understand who he is. Move Along Home, that's the name of the episode. Um, I understand this character. It took me four or five episodes to get there, but but after that, Quark was relatively easy to play because I'd had an epiphany about who he was. Hmm. So that's a favorite too. That, that's awesome. So the only other question I have for my family, because I like them, I'll let them ask questions occasionally. She <laughs> okay. likes them most of the time. Most- There's, one. There's one more I have to mention. Have to mention. Go for it. Yeah. Which is the episode be- between Quark and Odo, uh, which Renee and I did on a mountaintop. Um, I love that episode for the episode, but I also love that episode for the special time that Renee and I had together. Um, and uh, we loved working together. We didn't actually work together that often. Both he and I used to say, you know, this relationship that everybody's fond of. It didn't happen that often, right? Uh, but but on in that episode, the ascent, it did. So I'm very fond of that as well. I'm, I'm sorry to have been. No, it's totally fine. Odo's worth interrupting my brother for. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so my brother Fred wanted to know if you got to keep any cool souvenirs from the set of DS9, and specifically, he wanted to know how many bars of gold pressed latinum you have. <laughs> um, I have no bars of of. Uh, Gold press Latin. That's a shame. And when the set was being dismantled, I made a point not to visit the set and take anything from the set. So for a number of years, I had nothing from the set. However, uh, a couple of years later, I was at a dinner party and I had mentioned this to one of the set designers, Doug. And uh, about a week later, Doug delivered something from the set to my house. And people can't see me on the blog, but you guys can. I keep looking over my shoulder because over my shoulder right here is an ornamental piece from Quark's Bar that's on my wall. And uh, thanks to Doug, I have that. But I didn't secure it. Doug did. And, And speaking of Odo, when they were taking the set apart, I think Renee drove up with a pickup truck, a sledgehammer, uh, <laughs> and took as much stuff as he possibly could. Oh, that's fantastic. I wouldn't blame him. <laughs> so much for the lawkeeper, you know. Well, there's, there is that. All right, Armin, we've had an absolute blast uh, talking with you. We're so glad that we've been able to cut out a few minutes to have this conversation. Uh, but we are at the part of the show where we like to run our guests through a little quiz. Uh, it's just a little a little fun thing that we like to do. 
Uh, and the quiz that we're going to put you through is called Name That Movie's Year. So, <laughs> well, it's there's five questions. Each of the questions are multiple choice. You'll have three. You'll have uh, uh, Nick and Kathleen will run you through a series of questions. Each question, they'll give you three movie names. And each one of those movies came out in, in this year. And there's three. They'll give you three years to choose from. Okay. Okay. Now, if you get uh, out of the five questions, if you get three of the questions correct, we would love to send you one of these. There, get into camera. There it is. <laughs> the I always have a problem with this. The I gave to the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund coffee mug. Um, and then, if you get four questions correct, we want to give you the mug, and we're going to send you this book, which is called Custodians of the Cosmos, which is we get it into camera. There's multiple books. <laughs> and then uh, we're going to send you also Drayton's new book, which is called Dances with Aliens. Uh, I, I don't expect to get any of these right, so I don't think I'm going to get any. <laughs> in all reality, we'll send it to you anyway because we like you. Yes, I had a feeling you might. So. <laughs> uh, and, then, uh, and then, of course, if you get less than three questions correct, we have to do what we call a fun sequence. We would like to take a picture of you, make a meme out of you, and put it into the group for, the, for everyone to enjoy. Would you be okay sure. with that? Yes, absolutely. Okay, it'll. I assure you, it'll be tastefully done. Something with cork, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, Nick, take us away. So these three movies came out in which year? Well, let's give you the three movies first: Spaceballs, Princess Bride, Full Metal Jacket. Was it 1983, 1989, or 1987? Um, I'm going to say 1989. So close. It was 87. Okay, great. Don't tell Wally that I got that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question number two. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Jaws. And Monty Python's Holy Grail. Was that 1971? 1975 or 1978? Uh, I'm going to say 1975. You are correct. Very good. One and one. Batman Begins, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith. Was it 2005, 1999, or 2010? And will you repeat the titles again? Batman Begins, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. Uh, I'll say 2010. It was 2005. Wow. All right. Question four. Battleship. James Bond Skyfall and Prometheus. Was that 2010, 2015, or 2012? Um, Would you like a hint? Yes. It, it was the year the Aztec calendar ended. Thank you for that hint. Um, I'm going to say 2012. That is correct. Hint was what did it, actually. <laughs> All right, we're two and two. No, we're not. We're not. 
I got totally two out of four. I think I'm two out of four at least. Well, yeah. Well, no, two two wins, two losses. That's all what I meant. But <laughs> two and two. Back to the Future Three, Edward Scissorhands, and Tremors. Was it 1990, 2020, or 1960? Uh, 1990. Yeah. That is correct. All right. That is three. So that's because I was in that one. <laughs> Which one were you in? Tremors. You were in Tremors? Mm-hmm. I missed that one. I missed yeah, that one. Sorry, sorry. Take it back. I wasn't in the movie Tremors. I was in the TV show Tremors. Gotcha. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, I have to go back and look at that again. It was it was getting a little tiring scrolling through your IMDb list because it goes on forever. <laughs> well, I'm I don't know I don't know who to report my finger injury to. <laughs> I know but... the finger injury is scrolling. Scroll, scroll, scroll. It is an impressive, impressive work history. Uh, I've been very lucky and uh, a lot of villains, right? <laughs> a lot of villains, or I mean, at least I have a theory. <laughs> the last time you tried your theory, you broke his internet. <laughs> we won't do that again. All right. So thank you, Armin, for playing our quiz. You did get uh, three out of five. So we will send you, of course, the coffee mug, the I gave you the red shirt. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so stick around after we say our goodbyes uh, to the audience and we'll, we'll get your shipping information from you. Okay. Okie dokie. Well, Armin, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can listeners go to find out more about you and what you're working on now? Oh, thank you for that. Um, certainly, they can go to my website, which is uh, Armin Shimmerman, www.arminshimmerman.com, where uh, you can find out more about my books. You can uh, sprain your fingers uh, scrolling through all the credits uh, that uh, I have there. Uh, you can see some of the reviews for things I've done. I usually, I'm about to, well, I'm not about to, but in about six months, I will start a play in Kansas City. So things like that will be uh, featured on my website. Um, and as things air, I can't talk about them before they air, but as soon as they air, um, I uh, usually put it on my website so that people are aware of it. Um, the other thing they can do is, is go to my Twitter account, um, which is, uh, uh, you know, at Armin Schimmelman. And um, and uh, join me in conversations there. Awesome. We will make sure that we link both of those into our show description so that our listeners can find them. You know, I've, I've, I've misspoke. It is an Armin Shimmerman in my Twitter account. I believe it's Shimmerman Armin. Okay. All right. Well, we, we will make sure that we have it right before we link it. Yeah, we'll yeah. double check it. So we want to remind everybody that, of course, uh, subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help our show. It helps us to continue to grow. It helps us to continue to get... Uh, amazing guests like Armin Shimmerman here today to be able to talk about his uh, very uh, uh, lengthy and outstanding career and all the things that he has done to entertain us over the years and have these funny moments for you to be able to listen to and enjoy. So please subscribe. It helps us more than we can ever tell you. And make sure that you go check out Armin's work as well on his website. There's a lot of really cool information there. And go buy his books. You won't be disappointed. Now, if you aren't happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is the terror from the tick. Sure, he's a homicidal maniac, hell-bent on the destruction of mankind. But on the plus side, he really likes to hand out punishment 
to those whom he feels worthy. And a uh, little pro tip, everyone's worthy in his opinion. So make your complaint, but send positive thoughts as well, because it's not going to end well for one of us. Well, thanks again, Armin. Thank you. And thank you for the plug from the tick. Uh, <laughs> now that was heavy makeup. That, <laughs> oh my God, that was a heavy makeup job. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you all. Thank you so much. And thank you to for sending me to you. Oh, of course. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you will give crewman number 47. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and makes a trade of gold gold press latinum with the Nagus, he'll know that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and the rights to desecrate his cells for profit. And speaking of sponsors and show partners, check out this short video from our good friends over at Level Up Lightsabers. Information about Level Up Lightsabers and their online training sessions can be found in the episode description below. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Funny Sci-Fi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the Contact Me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2020 by Drayton Allen. Original music by Jordan Michaels. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned in this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of or by funny science fiction or its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at DraytonAllen at DraytonAllen.com.